So glad that you guys are here with us today. We're kicking off a brand new series, so you're right on time. You're on week one of this series called A Little Bit of Wisdom Goes a Long Way. A little bit of wisdom goes a long way. We all know that it's like if they just had a smidge more, they probably would have been okay, but they didn't have it, so it wasn't okay. And it's easy to know a lot of things without having wisdom. There is a differentiation between knowledge and wisdom, right? I mean, with knowledge, knowledge will tell you how to build a boat like the Titanic. But wisdom will tell you how to drive it without hitting an iceberg, right? Like, knowledge will tell you a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom will tell you it does not belong in a fruit salad. Like, there's a differentiation between knowledge and wisdom. Knowing something and understanding how to do something is different. Knowledge will help you build a house, but wisdom will help you turn it into a home. Knowledge will tell you that there is a God that's out there, but wisdom is saying this is how you walk with him. Wisdom is understanding this is what he calls you to do. And the goal uh, of the next three to four weeks, we're going to see how long I want to stretch this one out. We're going to be studying the book of Proverbs. And, and, and it's a book that's all about wisdom. It dives into figuring out and, and, and encouraging us that wisdom is something that we need to seek after. And in fact, the way that it's written in the book of Proverbs, it begins to personify the concept of wisdom. And it's not any surprise to me that when they do that, they personify wisdom as a female and not a male. Because we know, and as you kind of already saw the next picture, like there's a reason why women live longer than men. Because you can go to that picture if it'll go. Our computer decided to, to rebel today. So if it all disappears, don't worry, we'll keep going. You already saw the picture, but you know, there, there, there's a reason why women live longer. They tend to do smarter things. But as Solomon is writing the book of Proverbs, there, there it appeared. Yeah, that's not going to end well on his end right there. Like that, that, that's not the way to do it. That's not the wise way of moving. But as Solomon is writing the book of Proverbs, he, he is giving this encouragement and he's painting this picture of a son that needs to seek after wisdom as if it, as if it was his love interest. And he says, even if it costs you everything you have, seek after and get wisdom. And that's the goal. We want, we want to be wise. We don't want to just know things, but we want to understand the way that we should apply them to our life, to, to our place of work, to our family, to our education. We want to possess wisdom. And that, that is a good and that is a godly thing to chase after. And in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, all that it's doing is it's beginning to just spell out this case of why you need to become more wise, of why you need to possess Wisdom, And in chapter 10, it gets into what you're familiar with if you've ever read or seen Proverbs anywhere. These short sayings that, that are helpful, that, that are helpful for correcting your own behaviors, your own attitudes, correcting habits. And it's all these short sayings that address lots of different things. And that goes from after chapter 10. But the first nine are just all about building this case for why we need to be wise. And, and as it does that, it kind of builds out these four different types of people or these four different characters that and and they interact with wisdom but they interact with them differently and, and before we dive into some of the pieces of what the book of proverbs say we're gonna we're gonna identify and see these four different characters because they're, they're important because you're one of them you've probably been a couple different ones of them 
But right now, as you sit, the way that you interact with God, the way that you respond to people when they try to correct you, you fall into one of these four categories. In the first one, he begins to, in, in chapter 7, in, in verse 7, he, it's the specific verse we're going to look at, but in chapter 7, he begins to paint this picture of a naive or a simple young man. And, and you, you, guys, you guys know this guy. You know, it says, I saw some naive young men, one, and one in particular who lacked common sense. Like, you've seen that guy around. And it begins to talk about how he went kind of and put himself into position of, of looking for the, the, the thing that he wanted that he knew he shouldn't have had. And he puts himself close enough to it. And sure enough, he, he finds the trouble that he was looking for. But he gets into this situation not, not necessarily because he, he's a fool or because he's wise, but because he's naive. He doesn't understand, if I do this, is what, this is what's going to happen. He, he's simple in the way that his mind works. And, and I see this play out in lots of different ways, but specifically when we, when we get to young and we get to the word, we, we get the word young next to the word love, we often get into this concept of the simple that it's talked about in this, this chapter. You know, to, to quote the, the great philosopher uh, Taylor Swift, you guys are familiar with her work? Yeah. When you're 15 and someone tells you they love you, you believe them. <laughs> and, and us older people, we laugh because we did, and we understand, and we're not trying to, you know, be mean about what you teenagers are walking through right now, but there's a truth that once you have a little bit more experience, you look at relationships a little bit differently. Ten years from now, you will have some thoughts that you wish you could rewind and tell yourself, but here's the thing. You won't be able to do that, but what you can do is talk to someone who's already ten years ahead of you and hear what they have to say. Because what's the harm in learning more information about other people's experiences? Why is there something in our heart when, when we're naive about something or when we're simple about something and we don't have all of the experience yet? Why is there something in our heart that says, I don't want to hear what they have to say because it doesn't line up with what I'm feeling and what I want right now and so I'm just going to block out these other voices? Why is there something about us in that, that that when we enter into an area where we know, okay, this might mean that I have to change if the way that I feel and think about this is wrong, why do we try to block out that information? When, when we're simple and we're, not, we're naive, we often, we, we just don't want that access, but the thing that begins to change is, is experience. Experience changes that. And this is true in, in, in love. Yes, that's what I started picking on first because it's an easy target. It's also true in business. I mean, this is true in so many different areas. When you begin in a new area of business, one of the best things that you can do is find someone who's 10 years down, down the road ahead of you and say, what do I need to know? It's true in your spiritual life. That when you're first taking these steps to grow in your faith, to find a mentor who's ahead of you and say, okay, what do I need to know? Like, I want to get right in this area. How can I grow? How can I change? And we are encouraged throughout Scripture to find those mentors in our spiritual life and bring them close and learn from them. Not continue to be simple in our mind towards us, not to be naive. This is also true in our physical life. Like when you decide to get in better shape, one of the best things that you can do is find someone else who can coach you and help you. Because if you're like me and you got yourself over a weight that you wanted to be, you're not going to fix you. You need to find someone else. And I have to 
pick on this area a little bit because I've got some people who are helping me get in better shape here today. And when you find a coach or a mentor in any of these areas of your life, there's gonna be a response. When you see what they tell you that you need to do, you're gonna be like, you're sadistic. Like, that's too hard. That's too difficult. Who would ask somebody to do that much? There's something wrong with you. And it's true in business. Like, what do you mean you want me to organize the budget that way? In your spiritual life, what do you mean you, you want me to give of my time and my resources and my heart? That's gonna cost too much. That's gonna be too difficult in your physical life. I don't think I can push that hard. I can't do that many reps. Anytime that there's growth, there, there's gonna be pain. There's gonna be challenge. There's gonna be difficulty. And when we want, we want to grow in an area, we have to enter into it realizing, okay, my past thoughts, my past feelings, my, my past comfort, all of that is going to have to shift if I want to see this area grow. It's true across the board. Physically, spiritually, in your area of business, in your education. If you want to grow, if you want to accelerate in it, wisdom's going to ask you to do something different than what you've been doing. Because what you have been doing has not brought you to the point that you know that you need to be. I want to, I want to say it like this for, for this section. Wisdom often calls us out of comfortable patterns. Wisdom often calls us out of comfortable patterns. And that's the challenge because when we encounter that new information and it says, okay, these changes have to apply. We realize, man, but I've always done it this way. I've always lived this way. And sometimes even guilt will step in, especially in areas of our spiritual life where we'll say, you know what? I know that I should be doing this, but I've always done this. And if I begin to make changes, then people might criticize or mock or question me about why these changes are occurring. And I saw this quote come across online, and it was helpful to me. I wanted to share it with you. Be more committed to your future than your past. Be more committed to your future than your past. Yes, it's going to require change. Yes, it's it's going to require a change of habits. Yes, it's going to pull you out of what has been comfortable for so long. But if you want to move towards where God is calling you in whatever area of your life, you need to be more committed towards what's ahead of you than what's behind you. This this is part of growing wise. And the fact is, this category, this person uh, of the the simple-minded, they're they're not going to stay there forever. Because experience, I don't have to tell you that the things that you've been doing wrong, if you've been ignoring input from other people, I don't have to, ex- I don't have to convince you because your experience is going to convince you eventually. The, the thing that moves us out of the stage of just being simple-minded or naive, it's just, the, the cure for it is just time. Because eventually you're going to realize this isn't working. For me, I realized when my pants weren't buckling the way they should, I realized this isn't working. This needs to change. So many people, they're going through life and they got married and they thought the marriage was going to be the answer to all of their emotional issues that they faced through all the other years and then they got married and this person didn't fix everything and they realize, okay, something needs to change in the way that I live. I can't depend on someone else for my own happiness and joy. I've got to figure something else out. We go through life and we say, okay, I'm going to tell God the way that it is. This is what I'll do for him. This is the standard that I'm going to live to and I'll tell him who I'm going to be, and, we, and that doesn't go so well, and we realize, okay, I need to change. I need to make changes. And, and time, will, time will convince you of that. I don't have to convince you of that today. Your past has probably already convinced you. And so you'll move into one of these other categories, and, and not all of them are good, and you know, it kind of feels almost like, okay, God, are you starting to call us names here? Because in Proverbs 13, it identifies another person, and it, and it says, the companion of the fool suffers harm. 
And, and, and it does so many different descriptions of the fool in the way that he interacts with information, especially pertaining to God. The, the fool looks at a situation, he says, I know I shouldn't be, be doing this, but I'm just gonna risk it. I, I know that I shouldn't be engaging in this behavior, but I'm just gonna do it anyway. And Proverbs 13, 20 is one of those verses that is forever stuck in my heart and in my mind because, and this is an experience that, I, that I've shared about before, and, and for some of you guys that, that are here with us from Muncie, that this might be a, a little bit closer to your heart if you were in youth group at the time this happened, but when I was a youth pastor in, in Muncie, I specifically taught on this passage one week. And, and, and it's, it's tragedy that this, this happened, but I taught on the passage, the companion of fool suffers harm, because it's this truth that the fool isn't just destructive to themselves; the fool is destructive to the people that are around them. Completely innocent, good people are affected by the fool. And, and I taught on this passage, and I talked about how you need to make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people, because you surround yourself with the fool, what scripture says is that you will suffer harm. And the next week, one of the students who was there, that I, that I, I, I love this kid, but, but he was influenced by someone else's parents to skip youth group that night. And, and they decided to go on a joyride, and he was in the car, and the parents were the fool. They took that car over 100 miles per hour. The kid who was in the car, who did nothing wrong, was asking them to stop. They lost control of the car. They passed away, and that young child who was a part of our youth group passed away. It's not his fault. But he, he put himself in a car with a fool. And he's not responsible for that fool's decision, but that fool's decision affected him. And I can guarantee you that, that even if that adult had survived that, that wreck, that they would have said, no, I shouldn't have been doing that. No, no grown-up, whether they've done it before or they haven't, no grown-up would ever argue the point of if they should be driving over 100 miles per hour in their car down residential streets. No one would argue that. But there's something in the fool's heart and mind that says, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And it often leads to destruction and death in the life of the fool and those who have been the companion of the fool. The fool just says, I'm, I'm just going to risk it. I'm going to go for it. And in the life of the fool, fool the cure that ends up moving them out of that stage is tragedy. I mean, the book of Proverbs begins to draw this out, but the only way that we see the fool change is you can't persuade them because they're not interested in necessarily doing the right thing because they just want to do what they want to do. But the thing that is the catalyst for change in the life of the fool is they've got to hit a wall and survive. They, they, they've got to lose almost everything. And we've seen this in the life of so many loved ones where they got into it addiction or they got into a habit and before they would receive any help they had to hit rock bottom and it's not that, that someone who has been the fool is stuck there forever but it usually takes something tragic to say okay I have to make changes and some of the most beautiful stories the most life-changing stories have come out of those people who said I hit rock bottom and I figured it out and I want to share about my story so no one else has to feel that pain that I've walked through but I mean, we, we want to always not, we don't want to be applying this to that, that person who's foolish that we know. We want to be applying this to ourselves. And so as we kind of dive into this, I just want you to question yourself. Are there areas of my life right now where I know I need to change? 
but I'm just saying, eh, whatever. I'm just going to do it this way. I'm just going to see if maybe, you know, it turns out differently than what God says. Is there something that you've allowed to be an addiction in your life that is controlling your behavior in some sorts of way, and you know it doesn't belong there? Don't wait for tragedy before you change. Don't wait till someone close to you gets hurt because of that addiction to change. Don't continue that pattern of behavior for yourself and for the people that you're influencing. The fool looks at the situation and he says, I know, I'm just gonna take my chances. And I'll tell you that so, so many people who have come through that stage of life, um, they, they found that even when those things happen, that, that, that God will take that pain and he'll use it for a purpose. And so if you've been there, or if you're walking through that right now, I want you to know that there is hope that God continues to say, come close to me. Pull in close. I have a plan for you, and I can redeem that, that time that you've walked through, and I can use it for your good and for the good of my kingdom, but you have to. You have to adjust to what I say, to what Scripture says. You can't just keep making it up as you go. God has instruction for us about how to live. The fool isn't interested in wisdom because they just want to take their chances and do things their way. The, the next person that's described in Proverbs is the mocker. And this is in Proverbs 9, 7 through 8. And it says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. And there's some other descriptions of the mocker. And, and the mocker just basically looks and says, why are you, why are you trying so hard? What, what, what do you think good is going to come out of that? And so much in our culture today, one of the things that, that they look at is say, you know, who, who, would, who would believe that, that a sea could part? Who would believe that, that someone who was sick could be made whole again? Who would believe that God would do these miracles? And I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's, it's an argument that happens, but for someone who has said yes to God, at least in my experience and what I've seen in the church, it becomes easier and easier to say, okay, I see how God could part a sea because I've seen what God has already done in me. Like I've seen the miracles that he's begun to do in my heart and in my life and in my family. And so it becomes easier and easier to say, yes, okay, God, with a word, with the touch of Jesus' hand, someone could be made well because I've already seen what he's done in my family. And, and when, when I talk about my experience with God, I, one of the first things that I share is when I said yes to God, I did not expect him to start doing the things that he did. Like I thought I was just dealing with heaven and hell and I had no clue that he actually wanted to work in my life, that he wanted to heal things that were broken that I didn't even know were broken. I didn't know that he wanted to begin to move a blessing through my family because of this one simple decision of saying yes to him. And this is completely confusing to the mocker, and this might seem like a strange thing, but it actually talks about we can't change the mocker. Like, like you can't argue with them, because when you argue with them, all you're doing is you're inviting insult. And, and to argue with this person is a waste of time. And maybe you're in here because, you know, socially you're staying with people or, or they're, they're friends in town, and so you just, you were forced to come to church today, but you're, you're not into any of this stuff, and you think it, it, it's all silly, I'm going to tell you, what often happens in those people and, and what happens, the way that tra things transition, is that God does one of those miracles that they hate, but he does it in their heart. And they can't explain why 
Why all of a sudden do I feel differently about church? Why all of a sudden do I feel differently about the things about God? And the way that they transition out of that state is that God begins to knock on the door of their life and they can't drown it out. And it's not that, you, it's not that Scripture says, here's the argument that you have to present. If you have someone like that in your life, the best thing that you can do is pray for them. The best thing that you can do is, is show them love, but don't worry about arguing with them. You don't have to persuade them because they're not really interested in a genuine argument. They just want to criticize. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the typical mocker. And if this has been you and you're here today and you're saying, you know, I want to begin to change out of this, my encouragement to you is just whatever God's asking you right now, begin to say yes to. Because if you feel this drawing to get close to God and, and you've just been critical of the whole thing, it's like one yes in one area affects so many different areas of your life. And you may not be ready to say yes to everything yet, and that's fine, because I believe that God kind of works in our heart and our mind in this progression, but as soon as you begin to give God that one yes, it changes so many different areas of your life. And it makes it a lot easier to say that next yes. The mocker is someone who, who looks on the outside and you know, the, the, the cure, it's the opening of their heart. And then the last person that it talks about is the wise. The wise. Proverbs 9 9 says that if you instruct the wise, they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Now, this is an, incur- this is an interesting thing that in the description of these different people, that the one who needs to learn the most is the one who's most ready to learn. I mean, that makes sense, but it seems counterintuitive. The person who is already wise, that when someone tells them something, they're ready to receive it. That that if anyone who who could spurn correction and say, I already know enough and I already understand enough, I don't need you who knows less than me to tell me anything. The, the, The way this person is described is that they're ready to learn and they actually say thank you when you teach them something. This is the category of the wise, and this is the the posture of the heart that we want to have. That that same thing that we learned about before in James, of being quick to listen and slow to speak. There's so many times where it's like, we think we know what someone is about to say to us, and we interrupt them a little bit, but then we we realize they were saying something completely different. We, We need to be ready to learn. And if someone corrects us on something, rather than feeling attacked, we need to say, okay, I needed to know that. And and this is a position that we arrive to and and usually we arrive to it later in life because we had to move through these other stages where we were naive and we don't want to let anything else in. Where we became a fool, we didn't want to change our habits until we finally hit that dead end and we had those difficulties, those tragedies, and then we learned to become wise. It just seems like the older we get, the more inclined we are to listen to someone else before we speak. So I encourage you, As you think about which category does your life land in right now, take a shortcut. Don't feel like you have to move from simple to fool to mocker to wise. Take a shortcut. Let someone speak into your life already. Adjust the way that you're living already. Because God has something incredible for you. God has something Amazing for you. And, and so, you know, th- this is the way that correction occurs. We're going to put this up on the screen before. When you correct the simple, you know, they, they won't get you. When you correct the fool, they'll ignore you. When you correct the mocker, they will hate you. But when you correct the wise, they will thank you. I understand it's, our culture does not like to be corrected. 
We, we don't like to hear that we did something wrong. I want to tell you, it, it's okay. It's okay to get it wrong. And the wise person actually says, thank you for helping me see this the way that, it, that we should. And so we want to be wise. And, and Proverbs in chapter 9, where, where most of, of these thoughts come from, it actually identifies what the beginning of wisdom is. And so there's these different ways that we might interact with it, but there's one thing that's identified as the beginning in Proverbs 9, verse 10. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And and we bring this verse out in so much of of our culture when we see fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It's like, well, we've we've heard we shouldn't necessarily be afraid of God, but this, this term, it deals with a reverence and it deals with the realism that God is something completely different than you or me. That, that, that our attitude, what we think of when we think about God, which is so incredibly important, it, it shouldn't be this consideration of, you know, Jesus is my homeboy thought that we see on t-shirts and bumper stickers. Jesus is not your homeboy. And, and as scripture paints a picture, when, when it says every knee will bow before, it paints this picture where, where on that day of judgment, every knee will bow before him. It's not because there's going to be some angelic, angel warrior with his hand on your shoulder pushing you down to your knee it's the fact that when you see an accurate picture of who God is whether you believed in him during your life or or whether you rejected him during your life there will be a compulsion as you see him to drop down because of how majestic how awe-inspiring how powerful how huge he is when you get the full picture it doesn't matter what you thought about him because he is glorious and your natural reaction will be to hide your eyes And I say that because the most holy men in scripture who got some sort of picture of God, when they got it, they were terrified. From the population of men, they were the most qualified to stand before God and say, okay, we need to have a conversation because I don't like what you've been doing. They were the most qualified out of any of them. When you look in Isaiah 6 and his interaction with God, when you look at the Apostle John and his revelation of the glorified Christ that's recorded in the book of Revelations, he, he reclined and he knew Jesus as a man on earth. If anyone could have stood before God and just talked to them, it would have been them. But both of their reactions were to fall to the ground terrified because there is something that is too majestic to be taken in. This concept of fearing the Lord is having an accurate understanding of his power and his position. And, and, and somehow holding on to God is so beyond anything that I could understand. But even though he's so powerful and would be so intimidating to, to see in a, in a moment, he has taken a position where he says, you are my dearly loved and adopted children. I have, I have chosen you. I have loved you so much that I gave my one and only son so that whoever believes will not perish but will have eternal life. I have paid the penalty so that you can approach the throne of grace with boldness. The fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of saying, I know that I have to approach him on his terms because I'm not the boss. I am not in control. I am not in a position of power. Band, if you guys will come back out, I'm going to begin to to close this up. So when we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of wisdom because it's understanding I don't get to dictate the terms. 
There's things about who God is that I don't get to change or choose. And, and there's three things about his character that I just want to remind us of today. And the first thing is that God, God is awesome. And I say that in respect of he inspires awe in your heart when you see him. And this is one of the reasons why, why sometimes at church, and I've seen it in the lives of, of, of full-grown, huge men who are like, I don't go to church and I don't do this, but they get here and they get a picture and a glimpse of God and it, and it just, it, it moves them. And they don't understand, but, it, but it's this truth that when you get an accurate picture of who God is, it moves your heart and it inspires awe and it inspires worship. Our God is incredible. I mean... Psalms describes it this way in 33.8. It says, let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him because this is the reaction when you see him for who he is. The second thing is that God is holy and he's set apart. He's different than us. Sin cannot stand before him. Issues don't get swept under the rug. They don't get ignored. They get dealt with. He wants to deal with the things that are in your life, but he's going to deal with them on his terms, not yours. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us measure up. He so loved us that he calls us in. He's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. God is right. When you see it one way and God sees it another way, God is right. When our heart draws us to do something that we know that God says, I need to do it this way. It's going to end better when we do it God's way because God is right. His direction for your life is plotting the best course ahead. Proverbs 19.25 says it this way, fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. God's ways, they're going to they're gonna lead you into something that is more secure, that is better protected, that is a a more full life. Jesus said his, his desire for you is that you would have life and life abundantly. And so each week there's going to be a thought of, of wisdom that we share that's kind of the main thing. And today, the, the, the first week, the point that I want you guys to see is that when I understand what it means to fear God, I can live fearlessly. Because God, I believe, has a calling on each one of our lives. I believe the scripture teaches us that in each one of us, he has placed gifts and abilities that are unique to you. And he has situations with family members, people in the community, people that you haven't met yet, that he wants you to use those gifts and abilities to influence, to help, and to serve them. And at times when you see those opportunities, there's going to be part of us that lives in fear. It says, oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do this. I feel like God's pushing me to do this, but I don't know if I can. And when you understand, okay, God has placed this gift in me. God, God, God is so, more, so much more powerful than anything that I could understand, anything that I could design. He is so much more than I could take in in a moment that I know that if he is saying, Paul, go and do this, that when I step out and do it, I know that it's going to end well because of his power and not my own. So, in your view of God, is your foundation for your relationship with Him, is it built on His power, His strength, and His authority? Or is it built on your whims and your emotions? 
because this is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. This is what I want for my kids. This is what I want for our church, that our life is built on the truth of Scripture. The song that we're about to sing, it, it talks about, I will build my life upon your love. That this is the foundation, that this concept, that God, he is so great, he is so powerful, but at the same time, he is so loving, and so we can step out and trust. But I don't want to miss the fact that it does include this issue of stepping out. So if today God is encouraging your heart, if today God is challenging you in an area, I want you to choose, God, I'm going to build my life on what you've said. I'm gonna build my life on your ways. I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna put you to the test, I'm gonna see how it goes. And as you do that, I know that you're gonna find him faithful.